Looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dawaskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dawaskin. All right. Welcome to episode 24. Thank you, Wes, for kicking it off and that amazing introduction. You always get us going. And here we are at episode 24 of the Jeff Duoskin Show. I'm your host. Yep, you guessed it. Jeff Duoskin. Great to be here. Great to have you here at episode 24. And episode 24 is a special episode. 24, that's the number of carrots and 100% pure gold. And guess what? This episode is pure gold. That's right, pure gold. You've chosen the right episode to hang your hat on. Welcome to episode 24. People are always asking me, they're saying, Jeff, Jeff, semi-famous podcast host, how do you do it? How do you do it? How can I support you and the Jeff Duoskin show? And I say, money. And then they kind of look at me and I say, just kidding. What I meant to say was, go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And then tell all your friends. And share the link with your friends and tell your friends to listen and tell your friends to leave five-star reviews and you leave a five-star review. And this is what helps me get the show out and about and people find it. And that's the best way to help me. First, subscribe. Second, money. But we're just let's just focus on the first one for this week. And speaking of this week, I've got an amazing guest and conversation coming up. Suze Lanier is here. She was a star of the original Hills Have Eyes. We're going to talk all about that. And this, the first of two back-to-back spooky Halloween episodes where we talk to the queens of horror, the scream queens. It's going to be amazing. Suze Lanier got an awesome background, done so many cool acting gigs, and we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of them. You're going to love it. And that's coming up in just a little bit. And next week, for the Halloween episode, I have Kelly Maroney on the show. She starred in Night of the Comets and Chopping Mall. She survived all the greatest 80s horror movies, and she's here to talk to you about them. It's going to be a great conversation. Also, check the back catalog. A lot of great episodes recently. Stacey Toy, actress Aaron Cummings, comedian Craig Shoemaker, comedian Bobby Collins, Bruce Valanche. So many great past episodes. Great conversation with Dan Zier about The Mandalorian. Dig into the Jeff Dewaskin collection. You won't regret it. Speaking of not regretting things, have you checked out any of the sponsors from the Jeff Dewaskin show of the past episodes? If you have, I'm sure your lives have been enriched by them. And I'm sure you'll be enriched by this week's sponsor as well. Tired of drinking a glass of water in bed and suddenly hearing the glass shatter on the ground? Tired of reading a book to put yourself to sleep? And when you place the book next to you, it thuds to the ground, waking you from your slumber. Well, now there's an answer. It's time for you to get a nightstand. Nightstands. Perfect for when you need things to be about three and a half feet off the ground. That's right. Nightstands. Perfect for glasses of water. Perfect for alarm clocks. Perfect for fly swatters. Perfect for that book. That's right. Nightstands have everything you need all in one spot. 
And now, if you act quickly, you also get two drawers. That's right, two drawers for the nightstand. What joy you'll have in three to four months opening the drawers thinking, when did I buy this? How did that spill? Oy, I've got to clean this up and throw half this stuff out. Where did it even come from? That's right, nightstand drawers, where everything goes to die. Get your nightstand today. You won't regret it. I have to say, my wife and I have had a nightstand for years, and we love them. We love them. They're perfect. So definitely support the sponsor. Go out there. If you got a bed, get a nightstand. If you know someone with a bed, get them a nightstand. Do them the favor. Give them the gift of of a place to put things. It's just, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Support the sponsor. Help us keep the lights on. And keep supporting The Jeff Duoskin Show. And now it's time for the social media tip. Okay, here's a tip. I use a Chrome browser on the web, and I have Grammarly plugin on that browser. It is amazing. It tells you when your grammar's bad and when you spell things wrong, which is really easy to do, right? Because the running joke on Twitter is, I wish I had an edit button. You don't need an edit button if you have Grammarly. It kind of gives you a heads up. You'll probably still screw something up. I still do. But still, it gives you a, a fair shot at not using the wrong to, the wrong there, missing a word, thinking you wrote only and it only says one, you know, whatever it might be. I don't know. It just happens. Typos happen. Check out Grammarly. It's pretty cool. You need certain browsers for it, but it's totally worth it and totally helps you out. And that's the social media tip. And now, without further ado, I present to you my conversation with Suze Lanier, the star of The Hills Have Eyes. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have my special guest today, actress, singer, songwriter, comedian, photographer, Suze Lanier is here. Hey, welcome to the show. How are you? Fine. I'm fine, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. Suze, you know from The Hills Have Eyes, the original The Hills Have Eyes, the classic Wes Craven horror film. Perfect for this Halloween season. <laughs> Scream queen that I am. I, I was just going to say that. I, I watched the movie last night and you're an excellent screamer. That's what I was going to say. I have it written down. Excellent screamer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny for you to say that because I actually won some awards. One of the top 10 best screamer, Hollywood's best screamers of horror. So don't even remember. That was a while back. I'm known for my screaming on a horse today. <laughs> <laughs> I just screamed for a horror thing the other day a streaming project called Red Rooms. I had to scream quite a bit and I haven't quite been the same since. Yeah, that's how that's how my wife gets when I don't clean my office. She's best in-home screamer. Your best movie screamer. She's <laughs> So that was uh what was it like to work with Wes Craven? I know he I know he was new back then. That was like the start of his. He'd what done the last house on the left and um, this was his second film and you know before his passing was quite the horror guy. So but you were right in the beginning you were- I was at the beginning. Yeah. I don't know if it, uh, everybody knows this, but Wes was a school teacher before he became a director. And so he had that calm kind of uh, demeanor about him that you felt safe with him. And he was very mild mannered and patient. And he had the patience of a school teacher. So yeah, he had one hit under his belt. I don't know if he'd even made very much money from that. But his dream was to write and direct film. I don't think always with the intention of it always being horror. But that's what he got famous for. Kind of I did too. I had a reputation for comedy. And I started off in comedy. But 
we all want to be Meryl Streep, don't we? <laughs> yes, I, that is my dream is to one day be Meryl Streep. <laughs> I wear Prada all the time. I, <laughs> and isn't it funny that you re- refer to the devil wears Prada? with Meryl Streep when her body of work has her massive body of work has mostly been drama, you know? Yeah, no, she's, well, yeah, I, there's a million things you could pick with. We just happen to be watching something and uh, haven't watching it recently. And anytime somebody, oh, we were watching this new show on Netflix or Hulu or one of Emily does with the new Ryan Murphy show. And there's those things now that when they ask the character to do something that's impossible, like how she asked Anne Hathaway, get that Harry Potter book. We call it, now we just refer to that as a Devil Wears Prada moment. Absolutely. I like that new show, by the way. Yes. Emily goes to Paris. Goes to Paris. Yeah, it's yeah. I've seen all of them. So I don't know if I'm going to get to see more of them. I know. Not sure. I know. Okay, back to you. Let's talk more about The Hills Have Eyes. You know, when I was watching the movie, I thought it was interesting. The dog is like a major co-star. I mean, he's the one that takes out most of the characters. Yes. I, you know, at times, yeah, you could feel upstaged by the dog. The dogs were trained and, you know, were there with trainers. And I'm sure they were paid more than we were. The dogs, they've spared no expense with the dogs. So Yeah, they took out Michael Berryman pretty good there. Yeah, they did. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> and then you got to work with Dee Wallace, who later went on to be the mom in E.T. I was like, oh, my, I'm like, that's the E.T. mom. <laughs> I just did a film. You did something with their daughter, right? Yeah, I did. And and it's kind of funny that, you know, we sort of bonded as a family. I'm still friends with Michael. I talked to my, Michael once or twice a month, at least, uh, sometimes more, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we used to do when he lived in L.A. up until a couple of years ago when he moved to Florida, we did Thanksgiving and Christmas together. So he's kind of like a brother. And then Dee lives around the corner from me. And so we've kept in touch. And then I did a film with her daughter a few years ago called Cut, which is also a horror movie. So it's uh, sort of a family kind of, I mean, you know, we, we all are, we're very tight. That doesn't always happen on film sets, by the way. It happened with Hills of Always. So that's good. Cause it was, it's an awkward first meeting you had with the Pluto character in the movie that made it. So it's nice to know they went on to have such a nice relationship. <laughs> Well, you know, he even was in my music video. Watch what you ask for. You just might get it. And so uh, he and Michael Behrman and Brooke Lewis are both in my music video because I, you know, do music as well. So we just love to work together. Yes, mm-hmm. I watched your music video and he kills you in it. And it's very dark. I got to say the song was great. I was like, I'm trying, I'm sitting there bound. And I'm like kind of going, yeah, this is great. And then he's, then he's, he's <laughs> drugging you and then he kills you. And then he runs off with Brooke, who's the vampire waitress. <laughs> a great music video for Halloween. I always liked the song. I knew that the only way to, the new way to get your music out there is to make a video for it. I was talking to Michael about it and he said, well, let's do a horror one. And I went, well, I wonder what song would work with that. And so. That's how that came about. So he asked to do it with me. It's a funny video too, because his profile picture doesn't match his picture. <laughs> right. There's a word Cat, for catfishing that, maybe? He catfished me. And then killed you. I mean, you know, I'm not so sure that's so off base, right? I mean, I, that can happen. I think girls have to, everybody has to be very careful who they hook up with on the internet. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So I have a question for you. They remade The Hills Have Eyes. 
I'm not going to ask you if you like the movie or not, because I don't think that's fair. I do want to ask, I've always wondered, when you're part of something that's so iconic and classic as the original movie, and then they decide to remake it, how does it make you feel just from, like, that they've, they're trying to, you know, one-up it and like, move it, like, this is now The Hills Have Eyes. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't... Well, I think my theory about that is, like, breakfast at Tiffany's starring Audrey Hepburn will always be Breakfast at Tiffany's. The Anne Hathaway version will never be able to compare, as far as I'm concerned, with the original. And I think that a lot of people would agree with me about The Hills Have Eyes, at least the people I've talked to, but maybe they're they're, they're not going to tell me what they really feel because I started in the first one. But I think that the rawness of the original one, it really called for the setup. And I'm not sure all the bells and whistles enhance the story. I think all films really are about the story. And if you have a good story, then, and it's raw and it's real and it's honest, you can't beat that. And I suppose I felt a little put out to pasture, but you know, it wouldn't be the first time I've been put out to pasture many times. So I'm an actress in Hollywood. What do you want? I mean, you know, we're, we're tough. We got to be tough. No, oh, yeah, I do. I just, anytime they reboot something, I always, I always wonder that. It's like, you got a classic, just leave it. Come up with a new idea. Come up with a new idea. I totally agree with you. I mean, there's so many brilliant writers all over the world, not just LA, with wonderful, inventive and new ideas and new stories and why they can't get financed or why people won't gamble on doing something new or innovative is kind of sad. I don't mind an occasional remake, but to have everything that was ever a hit be remade is pretty pathetic. It doesn't say much for the studios, does it? No. No. Now let's go back in time. Just going through everything you've done. It's like and things just start popping. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Electra Woman and Dina Girl. Classic. You were Miss Dazzle. I love that show. I, when I got it, I... I just thought, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do a kid's show. I'll do it because I got it and I might as well do it. I never, ever thought anybody would remember, you know, it's like doing a play. I might as well have been doing a play in uh, Oklahoma or something. And then to have people send me pictures of myself from that show this many years later, I mean, 50 years later, people are still sending me pictures of myself in that is astonishing. And when I do conventions, which I did before COVID, not very many. I don't like to do them very often. I, I'm stunned at how many people want to buy a picture of a le- of, of Miss Dazzle. You know? <laughs> you know, each to his own. Every time I go to a Comic Con, it's always a struggle with someone who's done many, many things, like to pick the picture that I want them to autograph. Like, how do I want them on my wall? <laughs> it's tough. So if somebody picked that, that means that's what resonated with them. So that's that's cool, though. Different people resonate with different things. So you were on mm-hmm. Welcome Back, Cotter, another show that I love. I don't know. And so you were Vinny Barberino's girlfriend, Bambi. Right. And that, that was one of your early things that you were most known for, like early, early on. I think I'm probably most known for being John Travolta's girlfriend on Welcome Back, Cotter and The Hills Have Eyes. I think those are the two projects that I am most known for, even though some of my roles, like on Phyllis and Alice and some of these other shows, were bigger than some of those, those stuck out, stuck out to audiences. Yeah. I mean, I initially, when I wanted to be an actress, I initially went to New York because I wanted to do theater. I really didn't care. My passion was not film or TV. And 
I didn't, maybe I was too insecure to think I would qualify for that type of uh, life or career. I have a deep passion for theater. I got cast in Welcome Back, Cotter from starring at the Amundsen Theater here in LA with Richard Chamberlain and Raymond Massey, Dorothy McGuire, Eleanor Parker in Night of the Iguana. And Tennessee Williams was involved in our production. So I thought that was just the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And it really was. I think that's my favorite thing I've ever done. The casting director for Cotter came to the show and then I was offered the role of Bambi. That's so cool. I always loved it because it was, well, first of all, it's got the greatest theme song of like any show ever. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so you were a sweat hot. Yeah, I was a sweat hot. It's a big deal. It's a big deal that I was a sweat hot. Yeah. And I probably could have, you know, they talked to me about doing more. You know, I made some fairly weird decisions in my career and I really wanted to... I guess I thought that I wanted to do great art rather than sitcom and comedy all the time. And I'd done a lot, a lot of comedy. As a matter of fact, I have a big audition for another sitcom this week. You know, so it's not that I stopped doing it. I just wanted to do other things that were more important. And I guess that was just a silly schoolgirl goal. I don't know why I didn't appreciate some of the opportunities I had in comedy. You know, sometimes you do what you got to do. Every your, Everyone's path is their path and you did what you did. It, no guarantee that staying there would have done anything else. That's right. That's absolutely right. I've had people tell me that, that it might be better that some things didn't work out. Right. You could have ended up staying on Welcome Back Hotter longer and then gotten D. Wallace's part in The Hills Have Eyes and died halfway through instead of living. Boom. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely right. And yes, if I was on Cotter, I couldn't have done The Hills Have Eyes. And then I wouldn't have met my husband. So it's just, that's the way it is. It just seemed like it was just fun. You know, that it's kind of strange. And I don't know if I, I've never talked about this before on any interview. I was in a lot of pain when we, when I did that role. And it's strange that it comes back to me and I'm most known for that part. My boyfriend broke up with me. This is before I met my husband. Uh, my boyfriend had broken up with me the night before we shot the episode where I'm John Travolta's girlfriend. Uh, well, I was his girlfriend on the others too, but, and I was kind of numb in, in a way. I just needed to do my job. And then I just wanted to go home and cry. And I broke down on set a couple of times, you know, I had to go, go to the bathroom and go to the, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I suppose that's our job. We can't let our personal life really interfere with, uh, the show, the show must go on kind of thing. And it, that's the way I was raised. And that's the way I was taught. That's really what happened. And I'm surprised that I was able to pull off the jokes being so devastated. Thank you for sharing that with me. I Sometimes I think you, you got to just bring the humor out just to kind of just even cope with things. Humor is an excellent coping mechanism. So maybe that's the blessing that just helps you get through it. What kind of fool would break up with you? Come on now. Oh, that's what I thought. Oh, well, I, I did better at the end. <laughs> Believe me. I think I just thought I was in love. I, I found what I was looking for later. Yes. Um, so that's cool. So you were on Happy Days. You just one episode, but did you get to like meet the Fonz and hang out? You know, did you, what was that like? You're on every great, every great show in the 70s. <laughs> I, I'll tell you the story about Happy Days. I was in town. I had just gotten to Hollywood and I had been here two days. I knew almost nobody. 
And I called the one person that I was friends with from high school named William S. Bickley, who was one of the writers and producers of Happy Days with Gary Marshall that was on the that team. And he invited me to come to Paramount to have lunch. And I'd never been on a real Hollywood set. I'd done films before in different parts of the country, but never in Hollywood. I went to Paramount. We had lunch. He took me to the set. And Henry Winkler came up and he went, whoa, who's that? Make her my girlfriend. They wrote me in, small role, and I will be forever grateful to Bill Bickley for that. And then I started dating Henry and had a few dates with him and we decided it would be better to be friends. But he is one of the nicest men in Hollywood, I have to say. What a gentleman and what a beautiful man he is. So both of them. And that's how I got that part. I was at lunch at Paramount with Bill, a friend from high school, who was one of the writer producers of Happy Days. Isn't it Willie Nelson that says, I'd rather be lucky than good? (laughs) I do believe that a lot of success in any field that you go into has to do with a lot of luck, a lot of opportunities that wouldn't present themselves unless you have the balls to pick up the phone and say, hey, I just got in town. <laughs> you know, And he goes, oh, well, come have lunch. You have to- You got to grab for it. You got to grab for it. Yeah. I've met Henry Winkler twice and I, I agree. He's, he was the nicest person in the world. Okay. So the next interesting thing is Three's Company. Can we talk about Three's Company? So I know you're probably sick of talking about it. I'm sorry. I just, it's fascinating to me. So you were the original Chrissy. You were the original Chrissy. Do you want to tell the story? I could tell. I I had just gotten off the Hills of Eyes and uh, we were in the desert doing pickups. I was caked in sand and my agent, there was no food in the house. I had a kid. I ran to the grocery store, caked in dirt and sand from the desert. And I was paged. It was before cell phones. So I was paged in the supermarket. Susan Lanier, please come to the office. And I went and Martin Gage said, get over to ABC right now. You're going to test for, you're going to replace a girl who's in rehearsal and they're not going to use her and they're going to test you for the role of Chrissy. And so I said, I, I can't, I'm, I, I don't have a shower. I look awful. And he said, get over there. They'll put you in the shower, they'll do your hair, and you're just going to sit there. They'll dress you in everything from wardrobe. They'll, they're all, they're waiting. And that's really what happened. I left the gro- bag of groceries. I called who was watching the babysitter. I said, I won't be coming back. So feed him. I dashed off to ABC. I had to take a shower. They did my hair. They did my makeup. They had, while I was in makeup, they gave me these huge cue cards to read, which were used for the audition. And so they, I auditioned, you know, they couldn't, emailed the tape to Freddie Silverman, who was in New York. So they flew it in a private airplane to after we finished about midnight, they took the tape and they flew it to New York. They called me at 10 a.m. and said, get over to the set. You got the part. And Martin had already negotiated the contract. And it was way more than Joyce or John had negotiated. And so it presented a problem in the final outcome of my being picked up. So Suzanne started for much less than I did. You know, you just never, it's again, you know, is everything politics? So, you know, it was kind of political. And I thought Suzanne was wonderful in the role. You know, there you have it. She was. And I did, I, you know, I did watch, I watched the clip in your demo reel. You were great. I mean, it would have, I even wouldn't have missed a beat with you. I mean, it would have been just as, as great with you in it as well. But like you said, everything kind of happens for a reason and then you kind of move on. So it does. So that's what it was. It was more, you're coming in, you're making more money. There's issues. People get jealous right off the bat. Somebody had an upper hand and boom. We're on the pilot number three with Suzanne Summers. That, that's exactly what happened. She didn't last all that long either, even though it put her on the map for sure. 
but you know, she, she was wonderful in the role of Chrissy. And so I don't, I don't, she's a decent person and everything. I, I, I don't know her. I haven't really met her except once. You know, my favorite song in the world is Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. And if you go gently and let the stream take you where it takes you without resisting or trying to swim up, swim upstream, then it kind of all plays out the way it's supposed to. That is, it's very poetic the way you say that. I, I heard it differently the way you were saying it. That was cool. And like, look at it this way. Had you become Chrissy Snow, the world mm-hmm. may have never known the thigh master. Mm-hmm. Boom. Oh, that's right? true. <laughs> So think think right. of all the lives you touched by asking for too much money and asking. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. Particularly then, girls, young girls, didn't have much say in it. It, it was pretty much manipulated by agents and managers and whoever repped you. And guess you could. I mean, like my agent didn't want me to do The Hills Have Eyes, and I went ahead and did it because I liked Wes, and I wanted to star in a movie. Man, I am so thrilled I made that choice. The They're doing a drive-in screening of The Hills Have Eyes October 23rd in West Hollywood at the Andaz Hotel. I'm going to go just for fun. They asked me to be a guest there. I mean, it still has a life. I, not that Three's Company doesn't, but I think uh, in, at the end of the day, The Hills Have Eyes will probably remain a classic for a long time after I'm gone. Yes, the Hills Have Eyes. I mean, the the, the image, too, of the poster with Michael on it. <laughs> I mean, just like the, that whole combination. Like, I think even if, if you can, anybody, I think, who's, you're like, hey, name some horror movies, they're going to name that. It's going to be right up there with Texas Chainsaw. I was thrilled when Schitt's Creek did The Crows Have Eyes, you know, with, with Catherine O'Hara. And then she goes, you know, I mean, like she's she's doing this Hills Have Eyes kind of, satire thing and that they included it in Schitt's Creek, which is my favorite show right now. That really, it's shocking to me that it's still a classic and would be put put as, you know, be a spoof in Schitt's Creek still to this day. That is that is one of the funnier, well, I, I shouldn't even say funnier. Every it's, We've watched Schitt's Creek seven times and now that the, I mean, straight through, like just, we just keep watching it kind of on repeat. <laughs> So do I every, I can't get enough of it. And I'll find another joke and, you know, that I missed the first time I saw it. So the reruns just have a life of their own. I, I enjoy the reruns. Oh yeah. So. The, the writing is so, so, is so brilliantly subtle. Exactly. Every time you watch it, there's something else there. And Catherine O'Hara, yeah. especially like when she has those black feathers on her and she's making that caw sound. I mean, <laughs> and when she finds out they're not going to release the film and she's on the ground and like, just like- and locked- herself in the closet she locks locks herself in the closet I mean, it's just <laughs> she she's in the closet for a week oh man that was funny oh man it's so good so good i want to get, give you a chance to talk about your your new project too but i did have one other question because as you talk about Talk about all the all the sitcoms and the comedy background you have. You were also on the Tony Orlando and Dawn Rainbow Hour, and you did comedy mm-hmm. sketches as a regular on there with George Carlin. That's right. <laughs> so that's a big deal. That's your, that's a that's comedy cred right there for you. <laughs> I love George, and they teamed us up a lot on the show for the season that we did it. We were both offered an opportunity to uh, screen test for Saturday Night Live the very first the very first season of Saturday Night Live. We both collectively decided that we would turn it down because we were already on a show making more money than that would have 
paid in New York. I think that might have been a big mistake, but you know, can't look back. But yeah, it was really cool working with George Carlin. And he was just as weird as as he probably as he probably comes across in terms of being a little bit shy and withdrawn. And you know, he wasn't like Henry Winkler in terms of being outgoing and overly friendly, but he was a really cool with me. Well, when you collectively decided not to do Saturday Night Live together, did he at least invite you to the audience when he hosted the very first episode of Saturday Night Live? No, I didn't get an invitation for that. (laughs) No, I never saw him after that show ended again. I certainly, I mean, he went on to become the great George Carlin. I must say, I've been blessed to have worked with some very great people. Oh, yeah. I imagine. So it's just like you you have these intense moments with people and then it is it isn't uncommon, right? You may just never see them again. I mean, you mentioned you live around the corner from from D and you still talk to to Michael from Hills Have Eyes, but it's but some people you just you just never see again. It's I guess just like real life. I on the other hand, yes, you're right about most things, but on the other hand, I did maintain a friendship with Judy Strangest from Electric Woman and Dinah Girl. She was Dinah Girl, and Hollywood is a much smaller town than people really think it is. I happened to before COVID would work out at the motion picture gym, which is very near where I live. And just everybody goes in there and, you know, works out in the gym there. It's beautiful. Jodie Foster built the pool and it's just the nicest gym I've ever been in. And so I, I keep bumping into people, you know, Ronnie Blakely and all these different people that I had known from the past and we're all members of the gym. So, hey, how's, how's it going? You know, so in a way, it's a, a small town, too. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you. So in, in your and your music life, I just I happen to notice you were on Shanana a lot as yourself. Was it was it where you're doing comedy or doing singing or comedy? I was not singing on that, but I did just go to the Grammy Museum and the feature of the night was Jocko from Shanana. And it was cool seeing him again. Some of the Shanana boys were there, but mostly it was featured. It was about Jocko. But I did stand-up comedy on that. That was a really cool gig because I got to meet the late, great Chuck Berry. And uh, oh my God, he was so he was so cool and, and out there. You know, I've always preferred to hang out. I've always appreciated musicians and their persona, uh, maybe more than actors. You know, I really like music, the way musicians uh, talk and think. And they just seem a little more soulful. So, you know, he was wonderful. And we kept up a friendship. There was never anything but just friends. But he was just out there, man. He was wild. It sounds like you 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 met a lot of really cool people along the way. Do you ever talk to, you probably don't talk to John Travolta, but we'd be like, hey, John. <laughs> if I saw him, we'd talk, you know, uh, Ron and Bobby have passed away as well as Marsha. Marsha and I had a lot of the same friends. Uh, we were friends with uh, Ronnie Hallen, who's Gary Marshall's sister, Ronnie Marshall Helen. So I hung out with Marsha after uh, Welcome Back Cotter quite a bit socially till she passed away. And then Bobby was friends with my brother-in-law who created Welcome Back Cotter. I didn't know him when I got the part. That's how I met him. And then I introduced him to my sister and they've been married for 40 years or something. A long, long time. I don't know how many years, but a long time. And uh, Eric Cohen is his name. Bobby was really good friends with Eric. So I knew him until the end of his life. And then Ron and I would go out a lot to red carpets and stuff. And then I spent 4th of July about 
four years ago with Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. So we just, uh, Larry and I sat around his place and sang and jammed and just did Fourth of July with friends. So that was kind of cool. So it is kind of, like I said, a small town. It is. So what, so what are you working on now? You mentioned you were doing some sitcom stuff now. There's some, some new hilarity in the future. What's going on? Well, you know, you never know about auditions. So, that, you know, that you do those and you never hear again. I did a, a sitcom with Casper uh, Van Diem called Stripped. That's very funny. I play a more mature woman who has a birthday and gets a lap dance. So that's that's really funny. I, I hope that gets picked up. And then I did a, and that was in December before COVID. So we were on set with that. After COVID, I did am a character in a project called Red Rooms, which is kind of a fun horror special effects kind of thing that we filmed. You know, I had to set up the lights and film myself and do my own hair, makeup. And luckily, because I am a photographer, I'm pretty good at all that. And we're waiting to see if that's going to be picked up. So, you know, you never know. I'm right now, my main focus is I'm writing a book and I, I'll be a first time writer. I'm not sure if I'm any good or not. I'm a little shaky about that. But the story is so intense that I don't, I can't wait for it to get out. And I uh, can't tell the name of it, but it's about a real murder in New York City and um, in 19, in the 60s, in the late 60s. So I was involved with the parties. I really wanted to tell this story. I thought, I thought it was worth telling and what, what life was like in the late 60s in New York on the Lower East Side. And then you can make a movie yeah. out of it. I definitely see it as a movie. I want it to be a book first in my words, and then whoever wants to buy it, show me the money. Yeah, well, we're going to turn <laughs> it into a, make sure someone's screaming in it so that you can have that part. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> screaming in it, I can tell you that. It's pretty damn dark. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh man that's so funny so how can people keep up with you if they want to see what's going on with Suze um, yes I'm Suze S-U-Z-E Lanier L-A-N-I-E-R Bramlett B-R-A-M-L-E-T-T after my late husband Delaney Bramlett and they can find me at, at Suze Lanier just about on Facebook you can follow me there Instagram Twitter TikTok I'm kind of new at TikTok don't have a lot of posts on that Cameo for sure I've been doing a number of cameos lately, all at Suze Lanier, S-U-Z-E-L-A-N-I-E-R, formerly Susan Lanier, and I shortened it for the music. I'm writing a lot of music and getting ready to uh, release a new EP with five five new songs. That's amazing. And when you do that, let me know and I'll tweet it all up and I'll do all that kind of good stuff. Now that we're best pals, I'll support you. Oh, that'd be very cool. Thank you. This is my idea for you for TikTok. It's just you and then something happens, but it's a silly thing. Like, uh, you you know, you open the cupboard and it's empty or whatever, or someone left the toilet seat up and then you just turn in the camera and scream. And it's just, that's oh. it. It's just every, every clip is just 15 seconds of you stumbling onto some nonsense thing and then screaming. <laughs> You need a niche on TikTok. Not a bad idea, Jeff. That sounds pretty cool. I may copy that. No, yeah. don't copy it. It's yours. It's my gift to you. Thank you. Thank you. One day, if it catches on, and one day in your town, I'll, I'll just star in one of the videos with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I want a bunch more videos. I love directing. So, well, I look forward to all of that. And thank you so much for hanging out with me. I so appreciate it. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. See ya. Well, that was fun. So fun talking to Suze Lanier, hearing all those stories. Love it. Apologies in advance. Please don't write any letters. I know she's a scream queen, and the interview included zero screaming. I understand that. We did that. That was a choice. That was a choice. Please, no letters.
No letters. Okay, well, it's time for a hashtag game. You all know the story. Hashtag Roundup, at hashtag Roundup on Twitter. Give them a follow. And we pick a game and we spotlight a bunch of tweets. And those awesome tweets are retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show. Also in the show notes, retweet those folks. Follow them. Show them some love. Play along with all the games at Hashtag Roundup. And one of your tweets might show up on a future episode of the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Who will be the bell of the ball? You will be the talk of the party. The day your tweet shows up and you're like, guess what happened? You won the lottery? No, I was on the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Everyone will be in awe. It will be your greatest, greatest moment. Anyway... (laughs) I can dream, right? Okay. Anyway, follow us at Hashtag Roundup. I found a great one for today. Hashtag Fake Scary Movie Facts. That's right. That's a fact about scary movies, but it has to be fake. Completely made up. Hashtag Fake Scary Movie Facts with the Hash Fake Facts crew every Sunday afternoon. And here we go. Hashtag Fake Scary Movie Facts. Splitting up, always a good decision. I know, right? Every time people split up, they always all live. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, man. Uh, Freddy Krueger is an Avon rep. I'm not sure he would like that. Don't go to sleep, Sammy. Jason's original name was Stabby McStabface. That is so true, actually. It's not even fake. Poltergeist is about possessed chicken. I think he was thinking of poultrygeist. Nothing ever bad happens if you go down into the basement. It's true. It's scary down there, but no monsters. I checked. In Australia, I Know What You Did Last Summer is a Christmas movie. (laughs) Things are a lot different in Australia. Freddy's killing spree was due to a failed manicure. Can you blame him? Jason Voorhees was a goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. I think that might be true. The hills didn't have eyes. That was a potato crop. Easy, easy to make that mistake. The shark in Jaws was in fact a female dolphin with an anger management issue and her name was Karen. (laughs) That one might be true. The Bates Hotel is owned by the Trump Organization. Well, that explains a few things. And two final ones. Jason Voorhees' mom is Freddy Krueger's third cousin twice removed by marriage. And the knife in Halloween was made of marzipan. Both those come to you hot from hell sparks. All right. Well, those are all great. Fake scary movie facts. Definitely follow at hashtag roundup, play along, and your tweet can show up on a future episode. Thanks to all those great tweeters that played along. Well, thanks for spending this time with me. We're at the end of another episode. But don't be sad. Just be happy we had this time together. I really appreciate you being here for episode 24. Thanks to my guest, Suze Lanier. Thanks to the folks at Worst Holiday Ever Podcast. You know why. And also, thanks to everyone who subscribes, likes, and tells everyone about the Jeff Dewaskin Show. That's how we grow. So please, if you haven't already, subscribe at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Greatly appreciated. And we got a great episode for you next week. Check out our back catalog if you haven't caught up you'll love it and thanks again and we'll see you next week thanks so much for listening to this episode of the jeff dwoskin show with your host jeff dwoskin now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius catch us online at the jeff or follow us on twitter at jeff dwoskin show and we'll see you next time